Hi, my name is Colin O'Keefe, and I'm thrilled to be presenting to you today about doing the most good with a law degree. First, a quick bit about me. I graduated from Harvard Law School in May 2019, and before that, earned my bachelor's degree at the University of Michigan. In this talk, I'm going to do four things. So first, I'm going to give some advice on when pursuing a law degree makes sense. I'm then going to talk about some of the skills that you get when earning a law degree and talk about how one can use them for effective altruism purposes. I'm then going to give some general career advice for people already pursuing a law degree and finally give some next steps for undergrads considering whether a law degree makes sense. Okay, so as I said, I'm going to start off by talking about when getting a law degree makes sense. And I just wanted to caveat this by saying that this is primarily intended for an American audience, or at least an audience considering earning an American law degree, a JD. And unfortunately, I don't know enough about other legal systems or other legal education systems to give great advice on them. So please take that into consideration when evaluating this advice. A lot of the past discussion in effective altruism on law degrees has been pretty mixed. So in the pre-reading for this meeting, I linked an article from 80,000 Hours, which points to some of the significant downsides about uh, practicing commercial law for earning to give in the United Kingdom, albeit that's a very narrow context for law. But it's definitely true that there are significant downsides to legal careers or specific legal careers. So I hope that you'll keep that in mind when I talk about the next things, which is why I'm somewhat more bullish on effective altruism in law. So one reason I'm somewhat excited about effective altruism in law is that I think there's a lot of talent overlap between the areas that tend to interest members of the effective altruism community and things that tend to make one a good lawyer. So in this chart, I have highlighted three undergraduate majors, mathematics, philosophy, and economics whose majors tend to do well both on the LSAT and GPA and therefore put them in a good position to do well in law school. So if you're one of in one of those majors or at least interested in one of them, you have perhaps a good reason to think that you would be a competitive applicant for law school. The second is obviously the importance of policy careers to effective altruism and the fact that being a lawyer sets one up to pursue policy careers quite well. And the third is that lawyers do have quite a high earning potential. So this article that I've excerpted here found that the mean pre-tax lifetime value of a law degree was a million dollars. And for people who can get admitted to top law schools, it's probably much more than that. So again, the, the mean lifetime earnings can be quite high. And so as a backup option or for people considering earning to give, the potential upsides are pretty significant. So when deciding to go to law school, I think it makes sense to ask yourself these three questions. Number one, are you competitive for a top law school? So I alluded already to some of the majors that tend to do quite well in uh, applying for top law schools. This chart, which I'll link in the chat, also shows some of the top law schools, LSAT and GPA quartiles. And so from this chart, I hope you'll take away that the admission criteria for law schools are pretty transparent by comparing your GPA and LSAT score to admitted students, you should have a pretty good understanding of how competitive you are for any given law school. The second thing I wanna emphasize is that the LSAT is a pretty learnable test. It's pretty consistent year to year and the skills on it remain pretty constant and I think are pretty learnable. 
And so when I took the LSAT, my first test was about a 156, and I was able to end up with a score about 20 points higher than that after four to six weeks of dedicated studying. So I think that for many people here, uh, differences in general aptitude notwithstanding, uh, the LSAT can be a pretty learnable test. Um, another important thing to consider is that employment and earnings vary widely, not only between top and lower ranked law schools, uh, but also within top law schools. So make sure you really do your research when you're considering law school, find out what the employment and earnings rates are for graduates of your law school, and also understand where members, uh, graduates of that law school tend to practice, uh, understand whether they go into government or private practice, and if so, in what industries, as that will give you a good sense of what your career might look like by default if you go to one of those law schools. Law school is a big investment, and so you should definitely ask yourself whether you're comfortable with the financial cost. Consider, obviously, your undergraduate debt burden, if you have any, uh, and also what paying for law school might look like. If you are competitive for top law schools, you may be able to get scholarships, which are a huge help if you can get them. Um, and a number of law schools also offer pretty exciting loan forgiveness or loan repayment assistance programs, which I would also research a lot, especially if you're considering going into a government or nonprofit career, uh, since those tend to be lower earning. The third thing to think about is whether you're comfortable with the career options. Again, I would strongly recommend researching what the kind of most common career paths are for graduates of that law school and think about whether that's something that you would be comfortable with. Uh, think especially about the fact that lawyers in private practice tend to work long hours and face high levels of stress. On the other hand, I would point to some data. These data are from Harvard Law School, so they're not representative of all lawyers. But uh, remember that most lawyers do tend to be satisfied with their decision to be a lawyer, would recommend that other people pursue it, knowing what they know. And also remember that uh, these career satisfaction and uh, life satisfaction rates tend to vary a lot between private practice and other lawyer careers, such as nonprofit work or government work. Okay, so now I'm gonna talk about some of the skills that I learned in law school and how I think they can be relevant to the project of effective altruism. So the first thing and the thing that I enjoyed most about law school was learning about institutional design, how to create or change institutions uh, to advance the goals of effective altruism or of society in general. And there are people affiliated with or close to effective altruism already working on a lot of these projects, like changing the way that we vote to make sure that governments uh, better address people's preferences, uh, setting up cities in the developing world to help spur economic growth and lift people out of poverty, cost-benefit analysis for regulations, making sure that regulations are analyzed more systemically and qualitative, quantitatively instead of on an ad hoc manner. And in the longer term, I think there's exciting work to be done here on more speculative projects, like thinking about uh, creating new institutions for future generations or changing existing institutions to consider future generations' welfare more systematically. Lawyers are also good at creative problem solving. So in the effective altruism community, we often have kind of weird goals. And I think a nice skill set that lawyers develop is thinking about how to advance quirky or idiosyncratic goals using traditional legal tools. For example, I uh, have a colleague, Jay Schuster, who is using consumer protection law, things like false advertising, to improve animal welfare law, which I think is like a great example of how to use a 
traditional legal tool to advance some of the idiosyncratic goals of effective altruism. Uh, I did work on the windfall clause, which is a weird contractual mechanism that could allow AI companies to promise to give away revenues from artificial intelligence advances uh, if they end up earning a lot of money from them. And again, there's some more speculative projects that I'm very excited about as well, such as designing charities to last many generations, tens, hundreds, thousands of years, or also changing the way that charity law works entirely so that they're more incentivized by effectiveness than some of the other incentives charities face. And the third, which is really the bread and butter of law school and lawyering to some extent, is thinking about rules and policies and how to make them both effective and altruistic. So most of the things that effective altruists care about tend to be implemented or at least shaped by a whole body of rules and regulations and policies. And lawyers are experts at identifying those laws and policies and thinking about how they could be tweaked to affect different policy outcomes. And again, this can take place in a huge number of different settings from uh, government rules and regulations to internal corporate policies, to relationships between companies, to individual uh, people as well. So thinking about the wide array of rules and regulations that shape our world and how they can be made more altruistic is a project that lawyers are well positioned to tackle and is especially important for those of us interested in shaping the outcomes and consequences of emerging technologies like AI, biotechnology, and nuclear weapons. Okay, so if you decide to go to law school, uh, here's what I think you might wanna make it look like. So one uh, thing to consider is a bifurcated education. So split your course selection into both traditional, generally useful legal subjects, which will be great for cultivating a really strong background for uh, fallback careers or default careers in government or nonprofits or private practice to build up career capital to pursue more niche areas later in your career. Uh, we'll also uh, dedicating part of your curriculum to things more interested, things more relevant to the area, the cause area that you care most about or want to pursue a career in. So I've listed some of some courses that I think fall into each of these categories from my career. Uh, so keep in mind that I, I did this very intentionally and wanted to be both a competent general lawyer, but also take a lot of classes that were relevant to my cause area of choice, which is AI policy. I think that Government careers are a good early option for people in the effective altruism community who end up pursuing a law degree for two main reasons. So number one is, from my understanding, it's a very good place to learn to practice law. Generally, the quality of lawyering uh, can be pretty high uh, and you get to work with some amazing people. But second, and I think not to be understated at all, is the value of learning how the government works. Uh, People who want to change the government often don't know how it works and having more members of the effective altruism community with that deep understanding of how laws and policies get made will be invaluable to our community going forward. The third is changing the legal profession in general. So if you end up going to a top law school like I did, you'll be taking classes with people that will eventually serve in Congress, serve in the executive branch, perhaps be president or sit on the Supreme Court. And motivating them or convincing them or at least making them aware of the core ideas of effective altruism could be a very valuable opportunity uh, and uh, changing the legal culture so that it takes our ideas more seriously could be valuable as well. 
the law and economics movement has paved the groundwork uh, in this area sufficiently uh, by making law much more consequentialist than it used to be. But there's still a lot of work to be done. The law is still insufficiently prioritarian and short-termist. And I think that the arguments of effective altruism can be very powerful in shaping the law in generations to come. This is a project that we at the Legal Priorities Project are actively working on. Okay, so if all of that sounds interesting to you and you're still an undergrad, what might you do? So my first and biggest piece of recommendation would be to take a formal logic course. This would be super valuable for studying for the LSAT and developing quick intuitions about logical arguments and uh, deducing validity of arguments. And it's of course also just a very good life skill. The second is to take a practice LSAT. There's one freely available on the internet and lots more cheaply available online. And taking a practice LSAT can give you a good sense of what your starting point is. And again, with practice, you could easily gain, uh, I, I guess I don't want to say easily, but you could gain a significant amount over time and uh, be able to climb up the rankings of schools that you're admitted to. Relatedly, you should research the schools that you want to go to and think about uh, the uh, GPA and LSAT you'll need to be competitive for admission there. And then finally, do a bit of introspection. Think about whether law careers are a good fit for you based on everything that I've told. Definitely do some more reading yourself on uh, what law careers look like, especially for people who take the uh, private practice kind of default route. And if the high stress levels of that do not sound appealing to you, think a lot about uh, what other careers, if any, might be available to you, might be good options for you and your personality, and uh, research which schools will be best positioned to put you there. So that's my presentation. I'm super excited to hear your thoughts and questions. If you want to catch up with me after this talk, I've left my email address there. If you want to hear more about the Legal Priorities Project uh, that I helped found and which is trying to shape uh, the legal community and profession to be more effectively altruistic, you can go to legalpriorities.org. And I've also put my personal website up there where you can see more of my thoughts or keep in touch with me. Thanks so much. And I look forward to hearing your questions. Thank you for that talk, Cullen. Uh, we've had a couple of questions in already, but please do uh, keep your questions coming in, the box on the right, um, and also vote for any questions that you'd really like uh, me to ask. And we'll see if we can get through as many as we can before the session ends. So just to kick off, um, there've been a few questions around the kinds of like the skills involved or the skills that you build during law school. So uh, the top question at the moment is, how much exploration value do you think law school offers? And then relatedly, if someone isn't confident that they want to practice law, but can get into a top law school. Does attending seem like it's a good idea to you? Great. So I'll start with the exploration value question. So I do think a major downside of law school is that it doesn't have a ton of very good exploration options. Mm -hmm. I would recommend that people who are considering law school figure out some way to like uh, sit in on a law school class, read some legal blogs or something similar to see if it is talking about things that they find interesting. There are good podcasts available good blogs. Uh, and obviously, if you're on a university campus, you may be able to audit a course. Uh, the curriculum for the first year of law school is like 80% rigid uh, for most law schools. So there's like a set curriculum of uh, kind of foundational law courses that people take. Uh, after that, there is more like exploration options, but the, the training really is primarily focused on getting people ready to practice law. 
Uh, I might, if you're interested in exploring stuff or preserving option value, I might recommend a joint degree like a JD MBA or a JD MPP, which would have a more flexible curriculum. Uh, and mm -hmm. so that's something you should consider if you're kind of less sure whether you want to practice law or uh, go either into business or policy. And then could you reread the second question? Yes, it was around if someone isn't confident that they want to practice law, but they can get into a top law school. Does it seem like a good idea? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I would say that you should be somewhat comfortable with the idea that you're going to practice law mm -hmm. in some capacity. Obviously, practicing law doesn't have to look like going into a law firm. It can look like going into a nonprofit or a government as well. But that really is the thing that most law school grads do. It is the thing that law school trains you to do. And it is where you have your kind of highest potential impact. So I would say that unless you kind of, uh, yeah, put a significant credence on practicing law, that it's probably not a good idea. I guess like I say this as someone who's kind of not really practicing law at the moment. So I, you know, I, I, that's not advice that I necessarily followed, although I kind of, I think, got quite lucky in being able to do what I was able to do. So that's, I, I do think for most people, uh, it makes sense to plan to practice law. So when you said uh, that that's probably the path that has the highest potential impact, were you thinking that compared to doing so, you might have a path of uh, practicing law, you might have a path of going into research or trying to go into government or like all of these different things that you could do. And you think that the expected kind of impact is best from going into practicing law. And is that from an earning to give perspective or um, from a sort of like moving the needle on some like key decisions or something? Yeah, to clarify that a little bit, I just, I, I guess I mean more that the most impactful career paths will probably involve practicing law for some period of time, but not indefinitely. Okay. And I think this because like practicing law gives you a set of skills that are, that allow you to be like much more impactful later in your career than immediately going into things like uh, research or uh, practice. But like I, like I said, and like I'm doing, there are very impactful careers that don't involve that. I guess it would also, part of my, part of my kind of, hesitance on recommending that is also based on the fact that law school really does kind of best prepare you for careers in practice. That's that's what it's set up to do. And that's what most people end up doing. So I think you should kind of have an outside view or a prior that that's uh, the thing that you will do once you're done with law school. That seems very sensible. Yeah. Um, so then we've had a few questions about some of these specific different paths that you might do that aren't practicing law. So I guess starting off with a question around lobbying. Um, what do you think makes law grads best place to move into lobbying as EAs versus, for example, people who've got economist, ec economics backgrounds or have a master's in um, MBAs or MPAs? Um, and is there an advantage in building a legal specialism for this during law school? Yeah, this is a good question. I'm not sure I have great answers to it because it isn't something I've considered a ton myself. Uh, I encourage people to connect with, I, I think, Melissa Hopkins, uh, I'll give a shout out to, who's mm -hmm. uh, a law student at George Washington and who's thought a lot about interacting with the United States government uh, from an EA perspective. Uh, I hope she doesn't mind me uh, recommending that people connect with her. Uh, and <laughs> she probably has better thoughts on this than I do. Uh, so I'll say a few things. So number one, uh, I, I, you know, I don't know the statistics off the top of my head, but my impression is that like most lobbyists, or at least the mode, uh, the modal uh, background uh, or occupation for lobbyists is uh, lawyering. So that suggests mm -hmm. that it contributes something valuable. 
I think that you do pick up valuable skills, such as thinking about how laws ought to be designed to advance the ends of your client, whether that's altruistic or not. Uh, and uh, negotiation skills are another one that I, lawyers pick up well. Uh, obviously, you can pick that up from a business background as well, but uh, it's something that lawyers kind of train in or at least could train in. Um, I think interacting with the government, again, is something that lawyers, I think, consider a lot more than other backgrounds. Uh, and so for all those reasons, I think that lobbying, uh, lawyers, uh, lawyering our law school is a good uh, background for lobbying, especially in paths or areas that uh, have you interact with the government a lot. Um, I, I, I do think it's important to the long run success of effective altruism that we are kind of able to build up a better uh, apparatus for interfacing with the government and uh, advocating for our positions. But that's that's like a long run goal that I would like to see advanced. Okay. And then one other kind of tack that's the sort of one other route that people might go down is sort of academic uh, research using a legal background, which is in a lot of ways the thing that you're doing. Um, and so someone has asked, how bullish are you on academic careers in law? If it works out, uh, they're difficult to get, of course. Do you see them as high value compared to other options? Yeah. I do. Yeah, I think it's super important to recognize how hard they are to get. Uh, it's not a career path that I chose for that reason. You know, when you go to a top law school, there's a ton of really smart people. And the the competition for those types of, of jobs is pretty fierce. I think it helps if you already have one of the pieces of advice that I got when I was thinking about this a little bit is that like having a JD PhD is actually quite helpful for this. So that's something to consider. Mm -hmm. uh, that said, you know, there is the opportunity with legal academia to shape the way that very important institutions function. So I think it's a long-tailed uh, long distribution of impact. Uh, but if you're successful in it, then it could be quite impactful. And that's what we're trying to explore with the Legal Priorities Project. Uh, if that's something that interests you, then I think the best thing you could do is follow our work there and, uh, you know, hopefully get involved when we have opportunities to do so. Great. And then the last question I wanted to ask you was a bit more about your own career and sort of looking back. So uh, sort of thinking about where you've now ended up, do you now think that sort of law school was the right choice for you personally? Or do you think you could have been ending up, ended up doing the thing that you're doing now or something similarly valuable if you'd taken a different route? Yeah, it depends a little bit on how far back you go, because I think my undergraduate background wasn't super great uh, set up to do good things in AI policy. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I found like a very productive way to use my legal training in uh, OpenAI and in other aspects of AI policy. So I do think it worked out quite well. I didn't go to law school for those reasons, but I, you know, I would definitely do it again based on where I am now. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And I guess the thing that I was uh, thinking about when I was thinking about this question is it doesn't make sense probably for everyone who's interested in doing AI governance to uh, to go into law school, but it seems worthwhile having at least a few people in the EA community who have that deep expertise in that particular skill set. Yeah, that's definitely right. Most people at the AI policy organizations that I'm affiliated with are not lawyers. Uh, we're definitely the minority. So there's great ways to uh, contribute to that field from a huge variety of backgrounds. Super. Okay, thanks so much, Cullen. Um, sorry, guys, that's all the time that we have right now. But thank you for watching. And before you leave the session, please do give us your feedback in the poll section of the live chat. Thank you.